take your bulletins out this morning, you will notice a number of things that are in there. A lot of inserts, a lot of information, and a lot of material. We encourage you to read it very carefully so you won't miss out on a thing. Some great events coming up. VBS, one of the most exciting outreaches we have here, and trust you'll sign up for that, be a part of that, sign your students up for it, bring them here, help them to have a great time. Last Sunday morning at the end of the message, I showed you a video clip. Believe it or not, I had a number of people saying, how much heat did you take over that? None. Incredible affirmation. And what I encourage you to do, and we'll give you a couple of uh, websites over the next few weeks, specifically on uh, January or July the 8th, but a couple of websites for you to take advantage of to be involved in the political process. One of the things that I didn't do well last Sunday morning is say, now what? Where do I go? What do I do? How can I be involved? One of the things you can specifically do, there are a number of men that are gathering in local churches around our area. Saxonburg Memorial Church this particular month is hosting men from a number of churches from 8 to 9 in the morning, and you can join with them. Next month, it will be at another church, Pennsylvania Family Institute, American Family Association, a lot of ways to be actively involved and being aware of what's going on in our nation and in our state so that I don't just sit passively by hoping somehow it doesn't change, but that I get actively involved and aware of what's going on around me. So I encourage you to do that. Directories are in. They've been a while since it's come here. Some of you have probably already had two kids by now or two more kids by now since it's come. We are doing, indeed sorry about that. Uh, Ola Mills got sold to another company, and so we had to get on their waiting list to get them out. But they're out there in the back. Walk out these doors. If you're in it, you get one free. If you're not but would like one so that you can get to know the faces of the family at Community Alliance Church, $3 a piece, make sure you take advantage of that and get one of those Take it home with you. Memorize all the names. Next week, there'll be a quiz. Your sermon notes are in your bulletin this morning. I encourage you to take them out. As we continue our journey, remember these are given to God's people as gifts. Boundaries and guidelines as they head toward the future that God has promised them. And this morning, we're in the last one. It's in this particular color insert. I encourage you to take it out over the last few weeks. We've given you a lot of guidelines. I write the sermon notes as if I'm speaking. You can probably tell that by now. I really take my notes and kind of highlight them so you have something to go by more than just blanks to fill out or phrases along the way, but you understand the context as we share this together this morning. <coughs> you hand me that one. Apologize for the voice. Nothing I can do about it. My, uh, my kids and grandkids came up last weekend. All of them had colds. They left me with a gift. And uh, I, I appreciated them for that. Very, very much. It was an unusual weekend. I had two funerals, two weddings, and a sermon this morning, and I kept hoping they would last. I know that sounds like a pastoral memoir that they want to print whenever they're done with life. Two funerals, two weddings, and a sermon. But uh, I'm hoping that it will go through this morning and both of these messages together. This morning we're in Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. The final commandment, next Sunday morning we'll do rewind, and I'll talk about that next week. This one here in verse 17 says, You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, his male or female servant, his ox or his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. I see in your sermon notes this morning that covet means strong desire for something. Now that in and of itself isn't necessarily bad. But in this particular case, the strong desire is to possess something that belongs to someone else. Little kids do that with their toys all the time. Do you ever notice that no matter how many toys your kids have in front of them, they always want what? The other one, 
or their siblings to it. I got a one and a two-year-old in my house last weekend, and this one-year-old, who I think ought to be satisfied with the eight in front of him, wants what his two-year-old brother has and vice versa. And you never have to teach them how to do that. Did you notice that? They always want what their sibling has. They always want that other toy or what someone else has. Now, the text here gives you some specifics. In this case, it says, I want my neighbor's house or spouse or their possession. And in our culture, it can refer to status and position. You see, it's not a matter of planning for or dreaming about another house someday. It is being so dissatisfied with mine that I can't sleep until I have one like yours. It's not about bettering my marriage. It's being so content with mine that I want yours and and not just the great qualities that I see in your marriage that I want to put in my marriage, I actually want your spouse. And it's not just something that those who have a lot or don't have a lot have to deal with. Sometimes it's worse among those who have everything. You see, it's not about what I have or what I don't have. Because both ends of the spectrum wrestle with this particular issue. And those that are taking that next challenge of their life or that next step of their life, whether it be college or career, are going to wrestle with this particular issue for the rest of their life. And it's not a matter of those who have a lot or those who have a little. It's always that passionate search for more, that driving passion to always want more. It also leads to other sins, like lying and cheating and stealing and greed. David found that out in his life. We'll talk about him again in a moment. He had it all. He couldn't have had any more. And yet he wanted someone else's wife. Couldn't have had more possessions. Couldn't have been at a, at a higher point in his career. That even with all of those things in front of him, and all those possessions and all those dreams fulfilled right in front of his eyes, wanted one more thing. And obviously, if you know the story about his life, it led to lying and cheating and stealing and murder and disaster in his life and his family. Now, again, coveting doesn't go against ambition, desires, or dreams in your notes. Some of your dreams, some of our dreams and desires have been given to us by God. And when you know God's giving you that desire, you ought to pursue that with every fiber of your being. That's why I said I hoped at the beginning (coughs) that you sought God's face for your future. Not based on economics or I I just want to get out of Butler. I can't wait to get down south to live where it's warm. Or based on even sometimes that great scholarship, how could I turn that down? And I get it. Economically, that is a huge caveat in front of you. And some of you work really hard for that. Sometimes that's not always the best way to make that kind of decision. And many times those dreams and desires have been given to you by God. And if you know they have, you ought to pursue them with everything you have. Coveting in your notes is when I cross the line. From desire to demand, as if I deserve it, and we live in a culture constantly battling with that. When you cross the line from ambition to greed, from a dream to a nightmare of dissatisfaction until it consumes you, never being satisfied with what you have, always looking at those who have what you don't and wanting that for yourself. Hebrews 13.5 says, keep your lives free from the love of money. Not from money, but from the love of money. Be content with what you have because God said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. According to that verse in your notes, the antidote for coveting is contentment. The antidote for coveting is contentment, and the key to contentment is trust. 
that he really is all I need. And he really won't leave me. He'll never forsake me. And the question that you and I have to wrestle with is, do I really believe that? Do I really believe that? Or do I have to grasp for life myself? Because if I don't take care of me, no one else will. 1 Peter 5, 6, in your notes, humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Now in doing that, it's going to take an enormous amount of trust because God says, I will exalt you at the proper time. There'll be times in your life when you won't feel like God is lifting you up fast enough or soon enough. Lord, I, I don't understand. How come he got the promotion and I didn't? I've been here longer. I work harder. I'm a Christian. He's not. I don't get that. As if God owes us something. Matthew 6.33, Jesus said this. Let me give you some help in kingdom, joy, and living. You want some great guidelines for life? They're all over the Word of God. But you want, you want some help in kingdom living and how to have joy? Seek first the kingdom of God, His righteousness. Everything else will be added to you after that. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all those things will be added to you. Seek Him first. Things like people and possessions and position. You see, the antidote for covetousness is not trying really hard not to covet. The antidote for coveting is when I really do believe that God is my only hope, that God is my only source, that God is my bread, God is my life, God is the source of everything I need, everything I've been looking for, and when I start with that, then everything else is benefits. Everything else is just wonderful icing on a cake, but it starts with really believing that if I seek the kingdom of God first, everything else that I need or wonder or worry about in life is going to fall in line after that. <coughs> but it has to begin with seeking him first. Coveting breeds discontentment. Breeds in gratitude, and it will rob you of joy. If you allow those things to take root in your life and grow in your life, it's going to be very difficult to be satisfied because you'll always want something more. Even if you already have a lot. Covetous by nature consumes, it devours people, positions, and possessions. The very things that we're trying to get to be content, we won't be able to enjoy. It's like that little guy in the Pac-Man game that keeps consuming. Y'all remember Pac-Man from years ago? That little walk, 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 walk kind of thing that just oh, go up. I know I can't imitate anything, but you know that little man is just always going like this. It's exactly what your life's going to be like sometimes if you don't understand what it is that God's trying to say to you. You always go after more, consuming as much as you can possibly get. And your life after a while will sound like that and feel like that, that we're going in that direction. The people who, who grasp many times will get what they're looking for, but unfortunately they can't enjoy it. Because before you know it, they'll need a bigger one, a better one, a brighter one, a prettier one, or a faster one. And on and on the battle rages. Contrast that with one who really does seek the kingdom first who really does humble themselves under the hand of God, who trust Him completely. When God does give them things, the position, the possessions, or whatever God does, that person's going to have something and feel something the grasper never does. You know what it is? Joy. Real, genuine gratitude. Uh, they live with a sense of awe and a sense of wonder. They're amazed at what God does at times. They don't feel worthy. They're just overwhelmed that God chooses to give me this and to bless me with that. And 
bring this into my life and bring this friend or this person or this position or these possessions. They never draw attention to themselves. They enjoy the life and the gifts that God gives. They love the giver more than the gift. And so often we concentrate more on the gift than the giver. But the person who really does understand this concept and does understand that it's not a matter of trying not to covet and keeping my eyes closed so I don't look at that ad or that advertisement or what someone else has. It's just being able to enjoy what I have and what God blessed me with. And, and then when he gives me more, it's just an amazing sense of awe and appreciation and gratitude. God, thank I can't believe you gave me this. can't believe you put me here. I, I can't believe I have them as a friend or they want to be around me. I, I can't believe that, that you've given me this, whatever the this may be. It's just being able to enjoy that. You see, if your self-esteem is dependent on people, positions, and possessions, you're in trouble. If your self-esteem is dependent on people, positions, or possessions, you're in trouble, and you're usually not content, at least for long. Covenant leads to ungratefulness. It has the power to blind you of the wonder of what you have. And so you're always looking what someone else has and complaining, life's not fair, I don't get it, someone else always has it better. Man, those doctors got it made. Look at how much money they make. You pastors, boy, you've got it made. One day a week and six people to collect your money. All you have to do, you want, let me just give you some advice. You want what a doctor has, be a doctor. You, you want what a doctor has, be a doctor. Go to work for 10, go to school for 10 to 12 years. Put in all the hours, all the expenses, all the process, all the frustration. Go ahead. You want what they have? Go for it. How many times have I heard, you college boys, go to college? If you want to be a college, if you, if you wrestle with that, go to college. You want a pastor's job? Be a pastor. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. Make you a deal. <laughs> you haven't even heard it yet. <laughs> but I'll make you a deal. The next time there's a pastoral position open here, apply for it. Eddie, seriously, next time there's a pastoral position open here, apply for it. You'll love it. It really is an amazing job. I wouldn't do anything else. I wouldn't change it for anything in the world. But so often we find people looking at other things and other people and and what they have, and maybe not always even understanding the, the story behind it, and wishing this, and they shouldn't have that, they don't know why they're doing that. i got a pastor friend who drives a Cadillac. He drives a Cadillac all the time. He's driven a Cadillac for years. How many people in his congregation thinks he's paid too much? A lot. You know what happened? His dad owns a Cadillac dealership. And every two years, his dad gives him his car. People who look at him think, oh, man, you must be paid too much. I got a friend who got an incredible sports car as a gift. But if you don't know that, wow, we must be paying too much, or that church must be paying him too much. Sometimes we look at the wrong things. We don't always understand the story. We don't understand the things behind it. And, and we begin to draw conclusions that really aren't real. We're always looking around, always wondering. And I'm just simply saying, Quit whining about what everybody else has and gets in this life and look at what you already have and be happy. Because if you're not happy with what you have or where you're at, you probably won't be happy with more or where you're going. It's not dependent upon circumstances. 
situations, people, or possessions. Really dependent on an attitude. Coveting makes you blind to what you have. It impairs your judgment. Kids are in all these activities trying to keep up with somebody else because the guys and the girls that are at school that are really popular, they're in all of these things, and now all of a sudden you're in ten different things if you can't keep up with your own homework, let alone all the other things that life demands. Parents do it all the time by involving their kids in a half dozen sports activities just to keep up with everyone else So all of a sudden they're running every single night of the week and even on Sundays just to try to keep up with what everybody else has or what everybody else does. Adults do it by going in debt or working two jobs to get what somebody else has, only to go deeper in debt and never seeing daylight. Family time, no time. Serving God, no time, I'm too busy. And before you know it, they're investing the best juices of their life in stuff that no one really cares about. And they'll say, but I want my kids to have what I never had. You know what your kids want? You Even if they don't tell you that, even if they make you think that they want all of that stuff, so you're working all these jobs to have what your kids didn't have, what they really want is you, and the best thing you can give them is you, not the stuff. Certainly distorts our values, causes us to go into other sins, as I said a moment ago, like lying or cheating or stealing or slander or adultery. In David's case, as I said a moment ago, you can add murder to that list. Someone who had it all. It wasn't satisfied with that at whatever point in his life and all of a sudden ended up making such disastrous decisions because his values and his judgment got so distorted and out of line that it cost him everything. It certainly cost Bathsheba and Uriah and their son everything. Sometimes God forces contentment on us. By allowing us to taste our discontentment until we get a belly full of that. Until we realize that all you ever wanted and grabbed for of life didn't satisfy that hole in your soul. And then God invites you to eat at a different table. To drink at a different well. To find your satisfaction in Him. Who says to your soul, I am the bread of life. It is I, not your position, not your possessions, that will satisfy you deeply. That's what Jesus said to the woman at the well. You're looking in all the wrong places. You thought it was in people. You thought it was in men. You've already had four. The one you're with now isn't doing what you thought he would. Uh, Let me just tell you, you've been drinking at the wrong well. It will never satisfy. A lot of people in life constantly drink at other wells, hoping somewhere along the way it will satisfy. And I'm just here to lovingly tell you there's only one thing that will satisfy the hole in your soul, and it is Jesus Christ. No matter how hard you look and no matter how hard you search, no matter how high you climb, no matter how hard you crawl, I'm telling you, he's everything you're looking for and then some. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the best thing that I could ever offer you this morning is him. To be able to recognize your need, to recognize your battle, to recognize your searching and your thirsting and your striving and your climbing. The only find, as somebody has said before, that my ladder was leaning against the wrong wall when I got to the top didn't satisfy anyone. It isn't Jesus and Jesus alone. And that's a simple process of admitting your need, recognizing you need a Savior, and inviting him into your life, saying, Lord, I, I want to seek you. I want what you have to offer. I want what you have to give. It's not in people. It's not in possessions. It's not in positions. It's in you and you alone. 
all that we sang this morning couldn't have been better to help us understand that. The secret is not really trying hard to be content, not coveting, but simply finding that what you really need is in Him. That's why Paul could say in Philippians chapter 4 in the verses that we partially saw in that clip this morning to graduates, I'm telling you, I haven't arrived. I'm not there yet. I'm not perfect, but I've learned a lot. I've learned the secret of having a lot. I've learned the secret of having a little. I've just learned to be content with what I have. And I found that it's really in him and him alone. Paul's contentment wasn't whether or not God removed him from jail or kept him in jail. It wasn't whether or not God gave him a great church, a big church, a small church, or no church. It wasn't whether or not a hundred people came to Christ or a thousand of people came to Christ or one person came to Christ. His satisfaction was in God and God alone. Paul made a decision a long time ago in his ministry life to trust God regardless of what he had or what he didn't have because he knew that everything he needed was in Christ. I'm telling you, this particular verse, all of them, and we'll talk about it next Sunday, but this particular verse, could probably and may be one of the biggest challenges of all living in America. With so many choices and so much media influence telling us what we need and what we have to have and what we can't live without. Many messages preach differently around the world. But this message preaches probably more to us in our culture than many other societies around the world because they don't have a lot. I've been to Africa with some of the poorest people on the planet. They're the happiest I've ever seen. They sing like you can't imagine. I watch video clips on the Alliance's website. They sing. They love God. Pat, I know you've seen that as well, where they just love Jesus down to their soul. And they found satisfaction not in stuff. They have nothing. They found it in Christ, and they love Jesus, and they just enjoy life, and they enjoy living. This probably is one of the biggest challenges living in our culture. But I'm telling you, if you can learn to be content, it can be incredibly freeing. Scripture tells us to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. I have a master's. I have a doctoral degree in weeping with those who weep. I can do that so amazingly well, I don't even have to try. No matter, you start your story, I'm already crying with you. But I don't do well sometimes in rejoicing with those who rejoice. I don't always do well in rejoicing with those who have blessings that I don't have or rejoicing just simply in the blessings of other people. Three years ago, I fried. I burned out. I don't even know if we said the word from the pulpit, but that's where I was. I lost my joy and I lost my care. Two things that I'm known for the most, at least from my perspective, is my joy and my care. I lost them both. The elders very graciously gave me seven weeks off, and I couldn't have been more grateful for that. I had an amazing amount of support, incredible amount of support. There's a few people that heard about it or knew about it or came to me and said, well, it must be nice, which my husband had that, which I had that. My job doesn't get that. I don't get a break. And all of a sudden at that moment, I found myself saying, Lord, I never want to end up like And I don't want to live like that. And he reminded me that I really do do well at weeping with those who weep, but I don't do well at rejoicing in the blessings of others. And when I heard those statements, I I 
remember specifically near the end of that seven weeks saying, God, I do not want to end my life like that. I want to be able to rejoice in the blessings of other people. I want to be thrilled and satisfied with what I have and what you've blessed me with. And, and even more rejoice in how you've blessed others and let them enjoy it. Let them love it and live it. Practice it. I don't know where you're at. Maybe you do it really well. And when others are blessed, you just praise God with them and you rejoice with them and you encourage them. But if not, I just, I just simply lay this message before you and ask God to let it speak. I'm telling you, out of all the commandments, probably four or five of them that I, he has really spoken to me the, the, the most over, and this one probably is the one. And I, I, I just trust that you learn the secret of contentment in him and him alone. To be able to rejoice in the blessings of others and just cherish life as God graciously places it in your hands. If you're one who really doesn't know where any of that comes from and you don't really recognize what Jesus can do in your life, I offer that to you this morning. It is the one thing more than anything else that will satisfy your soul. At the funeral last night at 8 o'clock, a 55-year-old who died way too early, and I said to them, I don't have one answer as to the why, but I have the greatest answer as to where to go from here, and it's in Jesus. So I offer that to you this morning as well. If you don't know Christ, it is the greatest decision you'll ever make. Pray. Father, I thank you for your word. You have spoken so loudly and clearly over these weeks together. You've spoken to me about this and so many other things. And, and I thank you so much for your word that's so alive and so living. That it lets me see inside and is a mirror that reflects the things that I'm doing well and the things that I really need to change. And so thank you for your word that helps me to be able to do that and gives me direction for the future. And, and so, God, we just lay this before you, this particular one. All of us in here this morning are at different levels in our life. We have different things. We have different frustrations and different things that drive us. And for those this morning who maybe wrestle with this, I just ask that you'll continue to speak. And as we reflect on you today and these quiet moments and then specifically next Sunday, it's not a matter of applying the words, God. It's being real with what it says. And so, Father, by your spirit, speak. For that one or two this morning in this sanctuary who are looking for the answer to life, who have been drinking at the wrong wells and only find them still empty, I pray, O oh God, in the name of Jesus, that by the power of the cross, that today will be the day where they commit themselves to you, where they recognize that you're everything, and that they will seek you first. Let everything else come behind that. So by your spirit, freely speak this morning.